0: through John's gospel. This is part 21. The topic comes from a, an unusual text, not an easy preaching text, but I think an important one, John 5, 30 to 37. <clears throat> the title I gave this is, Jesus tells us why the world should listen to him. His is not the only voice. There are many gurus, prophets, teachers, leaders, religions. There are all sorts of voices. This text deals with Jesus saying, here's why my voice is the one that matters. John 5, 30 to 37, open your Bible however you have it. Always have a Bible in church. John 5.30, Jesus is the speaker. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not deemed true. doesn't say it's not true. It's not perceived as true. Just here's what I think about myself. Jesus says, if that's all you have to go on, it's, it's not deemed true. It doesn't carry a lot of weight. 32. There is another who bears witness about me. And I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, it's John the Baptist, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. I'm I'm doing this for your benefit, Jesus says. It's not necessary for me. I'm doing it for your benefit. 35, talking about John the Baptist. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. You look at what I'm doing, Jesus said. You should be able to see that this is of God. 37. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, His form you have never scene. What a text. I think it's important at the beginning to remind ourselves that as far as we know from the wording of the passage, as far as the text itself reveals, all of the events of the fifth chapter of John take place in a one-time stretch. In other words, there's no break between the healing of the lame man. Take up your bed and walk on the Sabbath. There's no break between the healing of the lame man. The retaliation of the Jewish leaders that want to kill Jesus because he did that on the Sabbath. And this little sermonette from Jesus on the credibility of his witness to the truth. All of these events seem to happen back to back in one day. That's what it looks like. And the reason this matters is the healing of the lame man gives proof to all the comments that follow. Jesus healed the blind man in this miraculous burst of divine power. And the Jewish leaders, far from worshiping Jesus when they see it, they want to kill him. So in what follows then, right on the heels, Jesus carefully ushers in witness after witness, validating that what he does and what he says and who he is carry enough proof to be accepted without any hesitation whatsoever. It should be obvious. And then, we won't get to this part this morning, very strikingly, the chapter ends with Jesus stating he still has no expectation whatsoever that these people are going to accept all this evidence. Marshals all the evidence, talks about it all, and before he goes, he says, but I know that this isn't going to convince you one bit. It's amazing. It's an amazing chapter. We're going to consider this text in two portions. The first today, and the second part next Sunday morning. So 30 to 37, that's what we looked at. It deals with the credentials, validating Jesus' authority, who he is, why he should be listened to. Jesus says, mine is not just a single voice blowing in the wind. There are witnesses to who I am and my claims. And then, 38 to 47, next Sunday, Two reasons people will always reject such a clear testimony of Jesus Christ. Okay, so you all with me? Point number one. There's more than Jesus' personal conviction backing his identity and his authority. Let me explain. The, The whole musical... You can remember it. it, it experienced a little bit of a, of a revival, but never really got huge again. But that musical, "Jesus Christ' Superstar," it was based on the assumption that Jesus had views of himself that, while sincerely held, were a bit delusional. That's what the musical was based on. He wasn't so much a liar as he was pathetic. The people gathered around in masses. Jesus had compassion. He had charisma. And Jesus began to love the spotlight. And then Jesus began to believe the things they were saying about him. The main theme, if you remember it, the main theme song ends with a haunting question of Jesus' psychological state. It's repeated twice. Jesus Christ, superstar, do you think you're who they say you are. Jesus Christ, superstar. Do you think you're who they say you are? That's what it was all about. That's what this first point is drilling down into. Is all is is all the evidence that we have just what Jesus said about himself? Do we finally have to rest our faith just in a personal conviction about Jesus, what he said about his identity? Is it just because he said so that we call him God the Son? It's the issue that makes today's text a difficult text, but a very important one. It's not a light devotional kind of text. It's got all sorts of edges that are rough, and you have to fight your way through it. In our text, here's the thing. In our text, like nowhere else in the Bible, Jesus gives us witnesses outside of his own person. He gives reasons for the credibility of believing in him. We don't have to just hope. We don't have to just hope that Jesus was a well-balanced person so we can trust what he says, We don't have to rely on the hope that he wasn't delusional about his own identity because there have been people like that. 30 to 37. I'm going to read it again. I can do nothing on my own. I'll talk about that in a minute. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So he's he's sent. If I I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not deemed true. There's another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness. There's another one. He has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man. I I don't need this thing from John. For your benefit, Jesus is saying. But I say these things so that you might be saved. That's the idea here. He, John, was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works, the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me, that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me, here again, the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. You wonder, where was that? His voice you've never heard, His form you've never seen. There's more than just humility in Jesus' words in verse 31. If I alone bear witness about myself, My testimony is not deemed true. That doesn't mean Jesus can't be trusted in what he says. It doesn't mean he says untrue things. He's telling us we should be grateful for this. He's telling us we don't have to just take his word for his authority. That's what Jesus means when he tells us that just his own witness to himself isn't deemed true. So, in other words, Jesus was aware that we needed outside verification. He can't just come on the scene and claim to be the Messiah. This isn't because Jesus alone isn't trustworthy, but because of the nature of our fallen condition. And Jesus announces divine provision for anchoring our confidence. Jesus lists witnesses in addition to his own words. Not because he's a liar, but to deepen our foundation for trust. Okay, everybody understand where we're going and why he's doing what he's doing? And I'm sure, I'm sure from what we know, the Apostle John must have jumped all over these words from Jesus. He records them in greater detail than any other gospel writer. And there's a reason for that. These words from Jesus, they amplify John's stated purpose. Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe. That's what Jesus said, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. That's what what he has for you today, life in his name. Life in his name. You can and you should place total Obedient trust in Jesus Christ. As God the Son, you should make him ruler of your whole life. You should accept his grace and forgiveness. And Jesus said there are three external witnesses to help you put your confidence in Christ A, there's the divine witness of God the Father. 32 and 37, there is another who bears witness about me. And I know that the testimony he bears about me is true. The Father who sent me has, has himself borne witness about me. We shouldn't just rush past those words too quickly. When, when Jesus cites the Father as his witness, he's saying this. He's saying that Father God has committed himself exclusively to the Son. Father God has gone on record, so to speak. He has made himself known and defined by Jesus Christ. Christians need to know that because it answers to a very common objection. Our world... Our world hates our closed-mindedness about Jesus Christ. You might as well know that. Our testimony to God the Son is seen as arrogant and intolerant. But where where does such a witness to Christ come from? What is the source of such exclusive witness to Jesus Christ as the Messiah, the Redeemer, the Lord? Well, Jesus says it comes from Father God himself, the only God and creator of all that is. So what I'm saying here and what Jesus claims here is if or when the church ever alters The message of the unique, saving, ruling role of Jesus Christ. She makes God a false witness. She makes Father God a liar. Because the Father hasn't just given us his opinion about Jesus the Son, He has revealed the truth about His only Son, whom He sent to be the Savior of the world and the Lord of the church. It's God's idea. You know this story. Up on the mountain, transfiguration. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Peter, every time it's Peter, eh? Master, it's good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Luke says, not, not knowing what he said. What what Peter, of course, was doing was you have Moses, Elijah, and Jesus, these three great prophets and leaders. Seemed generous of Peter. So there's got to be a correction here. okay? Peter's, Peter's on the wrong track in saying, Moses, Elijah, Jesus, three great religious leaders. Let's honor them all. Well, that can't stand. Something's got to be corrected. Who's going to correct Peter? As he was saying, get this, get this. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them. They were afraid as they entered the cloud. Who's going to straighten out Peter? And a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one. And then, then, in case they missed it, listen to him. Who's going to correct Peter? Jesus said, there's a father who witnesses to me. There's Peter, sincere, but not on the right track. Something's got to be done. God speaks out of the cloud. This isn't Jesus. Father God speaks, bearing witness, like Jesus said, bearing witness to the Son, this is my chosen. Who who does God choose? Well, Jesus. Jesus. Could have been Moses. Could have been Elijah. No, no, no. This is my chosen one. My son, listen to him. Chosen for what? Well, no one comes to the Father but by me. That's the rule. The witness of the Father took too long on that. The witness of John the Baptist is talked about next. It's in 33 to 35. You sent to John, he has. Born witness to the truth. John's another witness. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man. I don't need this. But I say these things so that you may be saved. This is for your benefit. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while. Remember, these are the people that are now rejecting Jesus, right? John 5. They're persecuting Jesus. You were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. As it turns out, John the Baptist's witness was a a pretty costly witness. It's likely that when Jesus says the Baptist was a burning and shining lamp, 35, he may well mean that John was either in prison at the time or had already been beheaded. Human witnesses, brave, forthright human witnesses to Jesus Christ don't have an easy time. They still don't. They still don't. Jesus mentions John the Baptist as a witness, and the Apostle John took note of the words when he recorded the opening prologue to his gospel account. We looked at these words a long time ago. But in John chapter 1, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. This is about John the Baptist. Why did he come? Just like Jesus said. See it? John the Baptist's witness to Christ carries more weight than you might think at first glance. Because it's not just that the Baptist is another testimony alongside of the Father. John's witness carries the validation of fulfilled prophecy. In other words, here's here's what you need to see in the text. John wasn't just a self-appointed spokesman. Jesus didn't just bribe John to say nice things about him. And that's why John, the Apostle John, ties in his own message with that of the prophet Isaiah. They said to him, who are you? This is to John the Baptist. Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? What's John going to say? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. And then look at Make straight the way of the Lord as the prophet Isaiah said. "You See what John's doing? He's a witness to Christ. But he didn't just fall out of the sky. Hundreds of years earlier, there was a prophet who said, there's one who's going to come. There's a flow of biblical history and revelation. This is anchored in something solid. John's witness was a predicted witness. He didn't just happen on the scene. There's a divine plan to John the Baptist's witness. When Jesus mentions John the Baptist as one of his witnesses, he means for us to see the unfolding sovereign plan of God in designing history to bear witness to Jesus Christ. This is why people need to think through the depth of their response to John's witness. Notice carefully what Jesus said about the response that many gave to John the Baptist. I read it, it's in the verse 35. Jesus is saying when he explains John as the second witness, he said he was a burning and shining lamp and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. They were happy to have John around. They were certainly impressed by John, they were moved by John, but We also know that the leaders in particular didn't like what he said. We notice that from the words of Jesus in Matthew 21, 23 to 25. When he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority? See, it's the same issue, credibility in the words of Jesus. Who gave you this authority? Jesus answered them. Let me ask you a question. I love it. And if you tell me the answer, then I will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John. From where did it come? From heaven this is a God thing? Was he legit, John the Baptist, as a witness? Or from man, was he just another, like a voice crying in the wilderness? You know, one of those. They said, we got we to talk. They walk away from Jesus. They discussed it among themselves, saying, well, if we say it's from heaven... He's going to say, so how come you didn't believe him? And if we say it's from man, well, the people are going to revolt because they perceived him to be a prophet. So they just go to Jesus. You know, we're really not sure. Jesus goes, yeah, okay, this discussion's over. So the people were 35, willing to rejoice for a while in John's light more than they were willing to repent and be pointed by John exclusively to Jesus Christ. You see that. You see it today as people are more willing to admire religious leaders, teachers, personalities, than be brought to humility at the cross of Christ. So Jesus still warns of a thin response. Third witness, C. There's the visible witness of the works of Jesus, apart from his words. Not just what he said, what he did. 536. The testimony that I have is greater than that of John. Okay, this is more important than even John. And John was a fulfillment of prophecy. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, he repeats it, they bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. Do you remember when John the Baptist was in prison and began musing? There's a human side here that the honesty of Scripture. Are you the Christ? Because things aren't going very well. Is that you? Cancer's not going away. My kids aren't serving the Lord. Lost my job. Are you? Are you the Christ? Like? Or maybe we should John. John. This John the Baptist. Maybe I don't know. Maybe we should look somewhere else. The text says, that's in Luke 7. The text says that in that hour, Jesus healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And he answered them, "Go, go and tell John. Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. The poor have the good news. The poor have the good news preached to them. Blessed is the one who's not offended by me. Do you remember when Jesus was preparing his own disciples for the kind of rejection and persecution they would experience just for presenting Jesus and just for being loyal to him? He told them that the guilt of those rejecting him would be calculated on the basis of their rejection of the observable proof of his mighty works among them. It's in John 15, 21 to 25, but all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. Look, now they have no excuse. For their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they've seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. Powerful words powerful words. The works of Jesus, the third witness we're talking about here. The Father, John the Baptist, the works of Jesus. They're recorded in the pages of the New Testament. They're right there. They're witnessed in the church of Jesus Christ. And remember Jesus' words to doubting John the Baptist. When he said, uh, are you the Christ or should we look for another? And Jesus lists all the wonderful things that he was doing. And at the end, at the end, he says, the good news is preached to them. You hear about Jesus, the truth of Jesus, the works of Jesus. You hear it whenever the good news is preached. Luke seven twenty-two. that's a direct quote. Whenever the good news about Jesus is preached, listening to preaching makes you accountable for the truth that you hear. That's what Jesus is saying. The works of Jesus condemn every false ambition. The works and words of Jesus, they 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 condemn every empty materialistic desire. The works of Jesus get the world ready for either repentance or judgment. That's why it's so striking that these remarks about the witness of the works of Jesus, they come right on the heels of healing that lame man by the pool. And the people wanted to kill Jesus when they saw it. How do you help people like that? I'm on my last page, and it's such a hard text for a sermon wrap-up. Because we learn today, if we take the text seriously, that going to God's house is supposed to be either joyful or serious. The sincere, the humble, they receive grace they don't deserve. Happy people indeed. But there's always a needed alertness when divine truth is coming at us. We're always being made, according to Jesus, we're always being made more accountable by increased hearing. God demands that a hearing of the truth is always accompanied by repentance, fresh repentance and obedience. That's what ongoing faith looks like. You you let the truth of Jesus inside your life where it hasn't been before. Oh, he's a credible witness father said, this is my chosen one. Listen to him. The one who created you. The one who created you said, this is my chosen one. Listen to him. John the Baptist comes on the scene, predicted by Isaiah the prophet, and he points to Jesus Christ and tells people to repent, and they behead him. Jesus says, there's the father There's John the Baptist, and there's the works, the very works that I'm doing. Look at what's happening here. And he says to the lame man who's been there for years and years and years, take up your bed and walk, and they want to kill him. You see, there's no lack of credibility. What there has to be is a soft and a repentant heart. A heart that's honest enough to say, this isn't just some delusional guy who made claims about himself. This is the fabric of history and revelation. And I need Jesus. If that's you today, I love these words at the close of the whole New Testament. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things. The Spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let let the one who desires take the water of life without price. You can't buy this. You can't earn it. It's free. Just come. That's what Jesus says. You thirsty? Come. Bow your head.